Before we start today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster, which is a podcaster's best friend. Trust me when I tell you this, Zencaster is like the Shopify for podcasters. It's all you need to get up and running as a podcaster. And the best thing about Zencaster is that you get so much stuff for free. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash founder thesis. That's zen.ai slash founder thesis. Hi, I am Vaibhav Tiwari. I'm co-founder and CEO at Portia Medical. One minute, stop. Ready? Let's go. startups. On the one hand, India's government-run healthcare infrastructure is nowhere near what developed countries have. And on the other hand, India is the world's second most populous country, which makes it obvious that there is a large, unaddressed market here. And this makes the sector extremely competitive with a lot of startups fighting it out. But there is one category which has a clear leader, and that is the healthcare at home category. Portia is a pioneer in the healthcare at home category with its thousands of employees serving patients at their homes across the country. Portia provides both in-home care through an attendant and also medical equipment on rent. And they have been one of the pillars of India's response to COVID, helping states to fight overcrowding at hospitals. In this fascinating conversation, Vaibhav Tiwari, the CEO and co-founder at Portia, talks about the journey of building up Portia to make it the clear market leader that it is today and the way forward. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show. The whole idea was that if you look at uh, healthcare and this started in early 2013, at that time the the corporate hospitals were fairly prevalent in india apollo of course had started that and fairly large number of good hospitals were there on tier 1 cities many tier 2 cities also and that basically meant that indian consumers were willing to pay for good quality healthcare right and uh, and many of these hospitals have world class healthcare services right i mean you have enough and more medical tourism happening in india and the quality of healthcare is exceptionally good in in most of these large hospitals but uh, there was not equivalent quality healthcare outside the hospital and most of the care once you get discharged from a hospital was more uh, was more uh, mom and pop shops actually right so then we looked at saying that can we provide the same world class healthcare uh, outside the hospital ecosystem and that was the genesis of portia so uh, so you get great healthcare when you go to hospital when you get discharged from there and you are in the recovery phase or uh, rehabilitation phase i think you require similar level of care but was not available uh, in india so that's how portia got started the goal was more towards services or products mostly around services at that time of course a lot around services nursing physiotherapy physiotherapy attendant doctor at home like the whole family doctor concept right i mean we used to have family doctors earlier can you have that concept back with the with patients and that's that's how it got started 
Uh, in fact, we are the first company to take physiotherapy out of clinics and into patient homes. What was happening before that, people went to a doctor and doctor said that you can you need physiotherapy and then they get physiotherapy done in a hospital or a clinic. In our case, we we basically uh, started physiotherapy and saying you can call us first, you can consult with us, and if only physiotherapy helps, you can do physiotherapy and then go and see the doctor if the if the if the problem is bigger than that. And uh, so B, uh, so physiotherapy became a B two C service in many ways uh, after after Portia came into existence. And like there are a lot of other things also, whether on nursing side. So what happened in that? Of course, a lot of uh, focus at that time was around building post operative care out of hospital care. But uh, over a period of time, basically every segment got created, whether it's elder care, whether it's chronic disease management. So if you look at, there are four key segments outside the hospital. You have post-operative care, you have uh, uh, primary care, you have uh, elder care, and you have uh, uh, chronic disease management, right? Diabetes and things like that. And in like uh, seven years uh, from then, we built solutions in each of these areas. So uh, the whole idea was that when I get into a patient home, with one service which they require, can I take care of all of their healthcare needs and their family's healthcare needs, actually. So patient became center of your existence, and then you say what solutions you can build around there. So everything which we created also came by uh, came by patient demand only. We are we are doing medical equipment, we are doing uh, diagnostics, you name any services can be done at home. In fact, today we are doing ICUs at home, we are doing peritoneal dialysis at home, you name it actually, as complex as setting up a full-fledged ICU at home, to uh, basically providing uh, an attendant to uh, to support somebody for act of daily living. The complete range of services are being provided and all of those requirements came from patients saying that, okay, can you guys do this? Can you guys do that? Uh, and that's how that's how the whole, uh, that's how the whole growth happened versus the patient and the market feedback. What was the uh, go-to-market uh, offering like, you know, when you initially launched, what, what was what was that version one like? If you ask me what first business plan we wrote was all around nursing visits and doctor visits. And of course, doctor visits took its time to pan out. So what in the first two to three years, I think the main services were nursing at home, uh, were physiotherapy uh, and uh, nursing attendant. And then medical equipment got added, uh, specialty pharma got added, diagnostics got added. Then of course, uh, last three years, diabetes management got added. So that's how the genesis has been. ICU critical care, we started a couple of years back, which has been a big uh, positive. What is specialty pharma? Specialty pharma, what happens at when some of the large MNCs, they launch an innovator molecule, right? So that uh, innovative molecule doesn't get uh, distributed through the regular channel. So what happens that if like these are basically drugs for uh, uh, cancer and uh, hemophilia and things like that. So what happens in this case, those companies will market it directly to the doctors. So doctor will prescribe it and then uh, the patient will call us directly. And then we go and deliver that. So it's not like for your uh, OTC or that's the prescription kind of medication. It's basically high-end uh, inverted molecules. So that's what we do. So it, it needs to be administered under supervision. Yes. So I mean, yes, yes. So it can be by... Uh, and these are basically things which are still not... Uh, these are basically in the, the innovative, right? So it's something which is new. So it's not in large-scale, mass-scale production and that. In the early days, what was your customer acquisition strategy? So in the beginning, of course, when we started, the whole idea was to get to uh, some of the large hospitals and uh, tie up with them because uh, it was a new concept. And the whole idea was that when you work with some of these well-known hospitals, uh, uh, saying that, okay, we can partner with you and for your patients, we can provide care. So, of course, it's a, it's, a great, uh, it's a great validation for our services. And luckily, we had many of the large chains endorse us, actually, and we started working with them. Of course, we also did uh, large-scale digital marketing. Uh, so we did uh, Facebook campaigns, uh, Google campaigns. Uh, we ran fairly sizable campaigns at that time. We also did a TV campaign in 2016, which was basically the first of its kind on home care. We did a lot of uh, below the line marketing. We did uh, 
we ran a train in bombay with our full branding actually one of the first metros in bombay ran with our full branding we did a lot of branding in the delhi metros uh, and and so on so forth so we ran very sustained campaigns digital as well as uh, outdoor and tv for first 3 to 4 years with sizable investment because one is that you have to create the category uh, that home care is possible uh, professionally and second also you have to create the brand so i think we did that and uh, then roughly you could say that over a period of time half of our business comes from what we call b2b to c hospital doctors uh, corporates pharmaceutical companies where any anybody in healthcare ecosystem where our capabilities are leveraged and uh, other half comes from b2c which is uh, more direct to consumers and how did you source the supply for it like these attendants or nurses or doctors are they like gig workers or are they on your payroll no so most of the people in the first 4 to 5 years were all on our payrolls because and as you are building this industry and and the company the way you train people quality standards all that have to be maintained very well and just think about it in our case neither the employees are in the office not the customers are in the office right it's not so we have to basically make sure that engagement on both sides is exceptionally critical and both has to happen virtually right so that's something which is which is very important and that's why it was very critical for us to get the first set of employees on our roles so first 5 to 6 years we had most employees on our roles in the last couple of years especially post covid we have like a fair mix of uh, consultants and full timers uh, and given the process are set now we know what it takes to to drive the uh, best quality and so on and so forth so that i think we are getting more and more consultants also so right now maybe around 4 and a half to 5000 people are there uh, supporting patients so how do you do virtual engagement so two three things we did of course so all our clinicians carry a mobile app so they carry most of them carry the android app where all the visits are given using the app their case files are created uh, using the app uh, uh, and and things like that so that's something which has been there right from the beginning we developed our own uh, erp system which we can use to uh, to basically run the whole distributed workforce and patient engagement of course happened using the, the web app as well as of course uh, extensive uh, interaction using uh, using other medium as well uh but uh, and also the main thing i think for us also is that uh, from clinician perspective how do you engage with them in terms when they are at patient home and many of our clinicians are at patient home for years together also and how do you basically engage with them how do you make sure that they are uh, continuously trained actually so we did lot of ivr based training we have created on the job training where a trainer will go to the patient home also now of course in last year or so it has become lot more digital driven i think that's the big uh, big big shift which we are seeing in last 6 to 9 months uh, for us as an organization but before that all the you can call it omni channel strategy we used to basically engage with both the clinicians and the patient and uh, that has held it as in good state at least we got the model right uh, in uh, ways in multiple ways and almost 25% of our new patients come from patient referral today so that has been a big positive so, i mean given that they have good uh, they have good uh, experience and they refer uh, they refer other 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 patients as well uh so that's that's what has been the has been the big focus for us uh, and we have been very open about uh, learning from patient and accepting feedback good or bad in fact on facebook also for many years we had feedback from day one whatever feedback was there we had everything posted we didn't remove anything saying that and some people read the very old one and saying okay this was the this is a problem you had i said we had the problem 3 years back and we are open to the fact that if i am doing we spend was close to 1 lakh 50000 visits to patient home every month and if i'm doing 1 lakh 50000 visits of course some percentage of that will not necessarily be the will be the best thing uh, experience wise whether it's expectation mismatch otherwise and we're very very open to accepting that and working on it and very honest about it transparent and honest about it that's something uh, uh, and it has it has helped us a lot because we could we could accept the feedback and work on it i think we have continuously 
grown from a quality perspective process perspective uh, and uh, and are like the in many ways the benchmark of home care today because of that only because we we listen to the patient and we act on the feedback good or bad even if they give good feedback we say what have what have we done differently in this and if they bad feedback what went wrong in this and both has goes into like uh, continuous process improvement that business of coupons you realized your timing was off what do you think about your timing for this like has it been spot on or have you uh, missed the timing in some areas or you know what so you know what is that learning which you carried forward i mean i guess history is always written in retrospect but i would say that uh, but porti uh, i think we have been uh, we that uh, right time right place i could say that i think we got enough time the most important thing in healthcare of course is credibility so you have to build a brand and we from day one we were very clear that we want to build a large b2c kind of brand because that's that's what can could make the could make the real real change on the ground and that's something which we have invested time in and first four to five years of course uh, went into learning a lot of things uh, getting the business model right getting the sops right getting the unit metrics right but we have the the sheer massive experience behind us right now i mean as i say we have served over million patients so far and uh, and and have built models on on how to build a big city how to build a mid sized city small city i mean how to get the right hybrid model right so when the whole uh, advent of health tech say in last couple of years especially uh, during covid times given that we have the massive learning behind us of 5 to 6 years before that we could just innovate uh, innovate on our feet i think that's if you if you look at from a portia perspective i think the biggest biggest uh, differentiator is that we we have been innovating on our feet actually and continuously ahead of the curve of what is possible and how can we support the patient i think that has been the biggest uh, biggest uh, biggest uh, uh, differentiator for the organization i'll give an example for example covid times i'll give that's an example we all are very proud of so the last year when covid hit first wave and that time nobody knew what to do and then government started looking at how we can do uh, can patients uh, not everybody needs to go to hospital can we do home isolation and we along with delhi government created the first program for home isolation uh, which was first of its kind uh, i mean and it was done totally in virtual environment we did because everybody was working from home at that time and we could uh, we could add the the whole government uh, machinery we could work with completely virtually could create that whole uh, thing ground up in like a uh, three weeks flat sops right models right working with different teams right and that home isolation program was created and launched on may 1st and then through those 6 7 months uh, till october november last year until almost january this year we ran home isolation for six state governments with uh, with uh, almost lot of districts covered served over 4 lakh patients and all this was created in in that sense on like really uh, with like with no time uh, totally virtually getting so many stakeholders together to build this at peak of that we had almost uh, 1500 or so healthcare workers and doctors and uh, people and paramedical staff working from their homes across the country and supporting these patients actually so it's first of its kind i think uh, even worldwide this was first of its kind i think it was covered by hbr also as a healthcare innovation by public sector in india and uh, that's a great great innovation and of course that got into uh, got uh, us thinking into how to leverage health tech more and more actually and that of course and everything changed in the last year and a half uh, after after wave one so what probably demonetization did for digital payments is what covid has done for healthcare and home care as well so, what exactly was this platform that you did with the government like people could uh, isolate at home and through a mobile app interact yes so basically so now of course now anybody anybody does that but at that time people are, people didn't know what to do i mean if i if i test positive for covid what should i do so we created the sops with government 
where we said that anybody who tests positive, we'll look at the early symptoms of the patients and demographic and so on and so forth. And basis that we decide whether they can be treated at home or not. And if they can be treated at home, they don't need to rush to hospital because if everybody starts rushing to hospital, your hospital can't take the load. So then almost 90 and at, the, at that time, almost 85 to 90% patients could be treated at home. So that data comes to us. And then we have a team of healthcare workers and doctors who talk to these patients regularly and uh, basically treat them at home using teleconsultation. So it was totally, uh, it's a large teleconsultation program. And then of course we had a treatment plan. So we basically, we have a, we have a robust software uh, for treatment plan management. And on that we put every patient and then uh, who has talked to them, what readings are there, what is SpO2, what are other uh, underlying conditions, any comorbidities. As per the SOP, you basically manage them and if somebody's condition is worsening, you take them to the hospital in, in basically a consultation along with the government agencies because uh, ambulance has to come. And at that time, of course, now it's much easier, but last year it was not that easy, right? So basically you work with the government, you work. So all the teleconsultation, all the patient management is done by us. A lot of on-ground support was provided by the government and together we could basically take care of these patients. So I think less than 3% patients were hospitalized on the list which came to us. And uh, I mean, we had really, really... Uh, Heart-touching stories in that. I mean, we have a pregnant lady in Delhi whom we basically, uh, she was in labor and of course COVID positive and how you, and it's, I'm talking of May, June last year. How do you make sure that ambulance goes there and she goes to hospital and she delivers in the night also and successfully. So all those like, and there are many stories like that. And of course, COVID has shown us uh, like all the positive side of people also in the country. So this was a, a like paid by a patient or paid by government? Paid by government, actually. Yes, all this was funded by government. Funded by government along with some of the CSR funds, I think combination of, uh, but government was exceptionally uh, proactive at that time. I mean, we really had a had a great experience working with various state governments and the kind of kind of urgency with which uh, which they came around, uh, making sure that patients are taken care of and, and, uh, and we could handle this crisis together was really, really uh, eye-opening. How did the handoff happen from, like, say, a government testing center to Portia? So they will basically, the first list will get done. Uh, they will uh, they will look at the list uh, with their doctors or with their nodal officers. And that list will get transferred to us in our system. And then our team will start working on that list. Uh, and then, of course, the government set up a set of doctors who are available, including their uh, medical uh, chief medical officers and all. And, of course, we had our medical team led by our uh, president of medical services. And, uh, uh, and we managed this end-to-end. And then your team would like do daily calls, uh, get information, update that, give them advice, give them prescription. Do that, yes. Then work with government, uh, work on data, make sure that anybody who's basically not in, who's basically deteriorating, how do you go and work with them and make sure they're taken care of. So large operations. Um, yeah, yeah. It sounds like a heavy ops kind of a task. Yes. And heavy ops, heavy medical, uh, massive proactiveness you have to show. Every time something goes wrong, how do you make sure that you work together to make sure the patient is taken care of, I think. And the thing is that it's new. Nobody knew COVID at that time. We are, now we don't know. I mean, at that time, we didn't know anything, right? So how do you, how do you handle an unknown enemy? I mean, that's like, a, I mean, nothing was known. So now it looks like a story, but fact is at that time, exceptionally high amount of panic and how can we support patients? Did you face challenges as an organization in terms of manpower? Because I know a lot of companies face that manpower crunch because people went back to their hometowns and things like that. Yeah, a little bit we faced actually. I mean, of course, uh, what happened, many of the patients who are critical uh, and we, may, 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 most of them, we ask them, can we have the, 
have the nurse and the attendant work with you 24 hours? Can they stay with you? I mean, you of course, they will work the whatever eight hours, nine hours they work, but the rest of the time, can they stay with you? And most of the patients were very open to doing that. So what happened during that time, of course, is that your new supply of manpower from uh, from uh, from smaller locations didn't happen. So what happens in our case, nursing attendant, we work with a lot of uh, NSDC, that National Skill Development Counseling the partners, and those people move to bigger cities uh, trained by us and by the NSDC, of course. So that supply got stopped in the middle because people are not traveling and trains were stopped and lockdowns and so on and so forth. But people who are there, some of, some of them went back, but I think most of the people uh, stayed around and we could we could sustain that quite well. I, we didn't see any crisis because of shortage of manpower. What are the levers of this business? Is it more about building supply or building demand? And supply here would be manpower, right? Like uh, I'm guessing the key ingredients of supply. So I think the most important thing in this business to build credibility and build the right right level of uh, right right quality of service i think if you ask me the biggest lever is that because uh, indian consumer and patients are are very patient in quote unquote once they know that you are also trying your best and any service which is uh, man which is uh, human led we you know that uh, things have to be managed well right so I think if you can build the credibility and you are giving a hundred percent and hundred ten percent to support patients, I think that's the biggest lever to build this business. And on top of that, if that becomes your core, then everything else is is possible from there. Of course, you have to build the supply. You have to make sure that uh, regular stream of people is coming to you, getting trained the right way, having the right attitude attitude towards supporting patients. So supply, of course, is one key part of it. And of course, then demand generation. Make sure that you're working with the right channels to uh, make sure that. And their credibility and quality becomes very important because a doctor or a, or a hospital will not uh, refer you, refer their patients to take home care from you if they if your quality is not good, right? So it's like that. So on both sides, and you'll not get great good people to work with you if you're if you're not having the right uh, right brand and credibility. I think that becomes the core of it. And then of course uh, the supply side, you have to continuously work on on increasing the pipeline, creating this is a career option. I mean, most important thing is this like this is not a career option. So in many of these things. Okay, even for nurses, physiotherapists, we it has become a good career option now. People are continuously looking at how they can how can they, they can be in this segment now. So, what are the initiatives you've taken to build supply? Yeah, so what have you what we have done basically? We call used to call it uh, corridors. So we basically work with multiple NSC partners, in fact, almost 70-80 of them. And which region, which location, which village, district they are able to get people from. And we have in fact we have gone to our teams, have gone to many of those uh, locations. And how can we create corridors? So, I mean, people from Orissa to Bangalore, Orissa to Hyderabad, Jharkhand to Delhi, Jharkhand to Calcutta, Jharkhand to Bangalore. So, we have seen people from different, different places and which all locations they can go to where they adjust well and things like that. So, working with NSDC partners, growing that, that's something is important. Going to physiotherapy colleges, going to uh, nursing colleges, doing pre-placement uh, for them, uh, making sure that they are we are able to move them, moving people from northeast across the country. So we have basically each of the profiles we have looked at how we do how do we basically create this as a, a career option for them and then of course how do you continuously train them and work with them to uh, to grow them basically as professional how do you give them opportunities within the organization and, and build their skills and grow. So what is the growth path for someone who joins as a nursing attendant? They can become field officers, they can become team leaders, they can become what we call level two uh, attendants uh, index. So you have, you start with maybe like. A, Acts of daily living is support. You could be a paid this uh, an, uh, attendant to support uh, uh, dementia patients, Alzheimer patients. Uh, how do you take care of uh, cancer patients? Actually, I mean each of these things, the level of empathy you have to show, skills you need to have will be very different. How do you become a team leader? I mean, some of our team managers are uh, our attendants who started with us. Similarly, on nursing side, I mean people can become trainer. They can become uh, uh, 
uh, as subject matter experts, they they can become managers. Again, most of our nursing managers are all nurses who work with us uh, when they started with us. So similarly on physiotherapy, I mean, some of our biggest uh, uh, people who have grown the fastest in the organization were physiotherapists who joined us. I mean, they became product managers. I mean, in our case, what happens is you continuously innovate on the product side also, right? Right now we are working on uh, digitalizing everything which we are doing. It's a massive product requirement with the, with the, with the, Product understanding. So, I mean, many of these people only are building the next next version of Portia, right? Uh, essentially, like like the the steps that they take, the workflow of care is getting put into an app and made like a checklist so that everything gets done. Yes, yeah, that is one part. Second is that can you do video consults of physiotherapy? I mean, you are doing yoga online now. You are doing gym online. Can for your neck pain, back pain, can we strengthen exercises? Can some of that can go uh, online? Can you do digital part of that? Can of course, as workflow is an important thing. Can you do? Uh, video consult for the patients for assessments. So, I mean, today you are going to the, suppose you are a physiotherapist, you go to the patient home, you are doing the assessment, you can have SME on video consult uh, with you. So, the kind of support patient gets in that in that uh, way, using technology, using digital, is exceptional. And that's something which you can create. Uh, so, that's what, that's what we are building now. So, every single step of our process can you digitalize and can you make sure that it's uh, repeatable, scalable in that sense. And of course, a strong medical supervision. Other other important point is medical supervision because teleconsultation is a is an accepted thing now. So how can you try medical supervision? What kind of people join you as consultants and what kind of people join as full-time? Is it their choice or do you slot people? I mean, of course, it's, it's their choice. Uh, wherever we have uh, demand, which is very, very predictable in those areas, of course, you'd prefer to have full-timers. Where demand, of course, is like a little bit uh, variable. We can have consultant or full-timers or part-timers. So is uh, demand for attendance predictable? Because, I mean, it, it, it sounds like there would be lots of peaks and troughs, no? Like There will be some actually of those, but uh, I mean, you have X number of uh, people who have uh, surgeries every month. You have uh, y, number of, y number of new mothers who come every, uh, new babies born every month. So you have some predictability around it. Of course, it has its, healthcare has its seasonality. So during festival season, nobody wants to go to the hospital. So you'll have uh, some troughs during that time. Uh, but January to March is like... Uh, is the time when most of the people go for their surgeries and uh, and uh, a lot of equipment demand is there for uh, for respiratory disease and all of those kind of things. What do these people do during uh, downtime? Is it like like a holiday for them? Yeah, so it depends on. So I mean, those times the patient who who needs it will continue to do that. And of course, the demand doesn't change. Like uh, so, what happens is that uh, the patients may go up or down actually. But a patient who requires it, they will continue to support the patient. So I mean. Sometimes you'll do four visits a day. Sometimes you do two visits a day and it averages out. I want to understand about the geographical expansion. Like when you started, which cities did you cover and how did you gradually scale that up? So when we started, we basically started with all the tier one and part of the tier two cities. So we started with the with the top seven metros, Bangalore, Delhi, Bombay, Calcutta, Hyderabad, Pune, Chennai. And then some of the state capitals like Lucknow, Chandigarh, uh, Indore, those kind of cities. Uh, and then uh, in those around 16 cities we did for services and another four or five for equipment. And uh, so around 20 cities we were in. We also tried the four or five cities at that time with uh, physiotherapy, online demand. Of course, that market didn't pick up. So we had around 20 cities uh, for first four, five, uh, five, six years. Then uh, this year, I think after home care has become front and center. So there are two things uh, which are driving our next, three things actually which are driving OTR 2.0 or 3.0, whatever we want to call it. I would say that... Uh, uh, the post-COVID uh, post-COVID uh, scenario. One is that we are saying we go digital. So our, our motto now is go digital, go 100. So one is that we go digital. That basically means that every single thing we do, uh, we, are to, we have to basically digitalize it. 
patient interaction, operations, clinician interaction, everything has, as I was explaining to you that, so everything has to go digital, which could be operational digitalizing as well as offering digital only services, digital led services, like point of care devices at patient home. Can I collect data? Can I have a complete medical layer and emergency layer for patient available all the times, right? Those kind of things. Uh, uh, can they use wearable devices? Can we support them uh, for with that actually, right? Second is expansion countrywide. So we said we'll get to 100 cities and we started adding cities as we speak. We are at 12 cities in the last couple of months with very good results. So we are in 32 cities right now as we speak. And any city which is basically 7 to 10 lakh kind of population range is what we want to uh, enter. So that's there. And third, of course, is that every... Uh, so we also go deeper in the specialty solution which we provide. So if I'm doing critical care... Can we do onco care? Can I do cancer care? Can I do uh, ortho care? Can I do pulmonology care, right? So we've taken four or five verticals where we are building deeper solutions. I mean, if you see COVID, during COVID time, all the oncology patients were the most vulnerable to go to a hospital. And the whole ecosystem is looking at how can we support them at home, pick line care, wound care, stoma care, all of that can be done at home. And that's something which we started building and getting massive traction for that. So saying each of these things, can you provide deeper solutions, more specialist solutions at patient home? When today we run anywhere between 100 to 120 ICUs at home, which includes a ventilator, bed, uh, monitoring, doctor available, uh, nurse on ground, the complete ICU. I mean, it's like, it is like the hospital ICU setup just created at home. So we are saying that can we also go deeper in those verticals? So those are three things which we are looking at growing. So cities which we recently launched are cities like your Mysore, Salem, Durgapur, uh, Ranchi, we are starting Ludhiana, Nagpur, Bhubaneswar. What do you think are uh, trends which you think uh, Portia is well positioned to capitalize on? Like Because, uh, you know, COVID has obviously changed and there are trends emerging now. So what do you see as those trends which you think Portia is well positioned? I think there are two, three trends. One, of course, home care has become more front and center. And of course, we are the being leader there are in a very good position to uh, to, to create value in that. Second, of course, uh, the whole digital healthcare, uh, the health tech piece of it, can you do device-led uh, device-led uh, healthcare services? Uh, the kind of data which you can collect with POC devices is something which is uh, which is sizable. Uh, and acceptance of uh, of digital uh, digital healthcare, right? Whether it's teleconsultation, video consultation, so on and so forth. So, I think that massive possibilities, the people awareness, the whole consumer behavior, the awareness about health has changed significantly. So, there's tremendous uh, need in the in the population for taking care of chronic disease, right? Taking care of uh, being like being more careful about your uh, health. So a lot more focus on uh, preventive health care, right? So there are so many trends in each of these areas. Even you look at tier four, tier uh, like rural area, I mean, so much more, which is possible. Can using technology, can you take healthcare uh, to the rural area? Can you go to like a tier four, tier five towns and rural area? All those are things which have opened up all of a sudden, actually. So, I mean, this like, of course, need was always there, but with technology, it's much more easy is much more possible to do today, actually. So that's something which we are looking at, how we can uh, how we can leverage technology and reach out to much, much larger population. And that's, again, something which I believe is a, is a massive opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, I think digital, like connected devices sounds like like the next big wave. Yeah, it is. And it is. And of course, it is tremendous. I think the big thing is that, of course, conceptually, it always makes sense. But fact is that you have patient acceptance. That has changed significantly now. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-N dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows. Before we end the episode, I want to share a bit about my journey as a podcaster. 
I started podcasting in 2020 and in the last two years, I've had the opportunity to interview more than 250 founders who are shaping India's future across sectors. If you also want to speak to the best minds in your field and build an enviable network, then you must consider becoming a podcaster. And the first step to becoming a podcaster starts with Zencaster, which takes care of all the nuts and bolts of podcasting from remote recording to editing to distribution and finally monetization. If you are planning to check out the platform, then please show your support for the Founder Thesis podcast by using this link, zen.ai slash founder thesis. That's zen.ai slash founder thesis.